Well, we want to welcome you again and uh, looking forward to really the next couple of weeks. You know, we're in the middle of a series on uh, Acts, but next week I'll take a break as we uh, celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And the message next week, just to kind of tease it a little bit, is who killed Jesus? And the answer might surprise you. So I want to encourage you to come next week as we look at what the Bible has to say about uh, who killed uh, Jesus. But as we continue our journey through the book of Acts, let's not forget where it all started. Uh, so if we go back really to the death of Christ, and of course we'll be celebrating his death and resurrection next week, but uh, he died for our sins, rose from the dead, uh, appeared uh, for 40 days to thousands of people, then he ascended uh, to the right hand of the throne of God. And just before uh, he ascended, uh, in the days leading up to that, uh, you know, the Mount of Ascension there, he gave what we call the Great Commission. <clears throat> and this is really where it all began, because the Great Commission serves as our mission as a church, and as the church global in this uh, present age. Uh, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, <clears throat> even uh, to the end of the age. And, you know, <clears throat> from that moment, uh, we know the early church, <clears throat> excuse me, took Christ seriously. And we know this because after his ascension, they went back uh, to Jerusalem, and that's where Luke picks up the story. Uh, and it's a historical account, not a fictional story. It's an actual uh, historical narrative about the early days of the church. And they met in the upper room in Acts chapter 1. They uh, voted to replace uh, Judas, who had proven himself to be an unbeliever. And they filled his seat so that they had 12 uh, disciples. And then, of course, in chapter 2, uh, we see the great uh, day of Pentecost when the church was uh, founded and the Spirit of God moved uh, mightily. And, and so, uh, you know, if we left off last week in our study of Acts with the whole uh, story about Simon Magus and we talked about old habits die hard, and Simon uh, is an example of someone who got saved through the ministry of the church uh, there in Jerusalem, and, uh, and then very quickly slipped back into his old ways, his old habits. But do you remember what Luke, the narrator, the historian, uh, told us uh, back in the early part of chapter 8? <clears throat> he said, Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And then we learn in the next verse that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And that's where he met uh, Simon. So the question is, if you think about the Great Commission, the early days of the church, what we're trying to kind of focus on is how are we doing 2,000 years later? Are we still preaching Christ? You know, the church at large, and I'm not speaking now of Plum Creek Chapel, but the church at large has gotten involved in many, many things uh, through the years. And the further we get from that first century model church that we spent several weeks talking about from Acts chapter 2, it seems like the less we resemble that early church. But the question is, are we still preaching Christ? Um, you know, I want us to examine this idea of community outreach uh, this morning as we see 
the first really example of one-on-one -on -one evangelism in the early church, at least as recorded uh, in Scripture. One of the, the common themes that came up uh, in our congregational surveys that we did was the need for community outreach, just the need to really minister to Sedalia and the surrounding uh, community. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about uh, community. In fact, coming up this summer, we're going to have our second annual Sedalia God and Country Day celebration. And those of you that were here last year know that's a big deal. It's a wonderful way to minister to our community, to worship the Lord and thank God for the freedoms that we have in this country, such as they are. Um, and uh, so we set up a huge tent. We have catered barbecue. We invite dignitaries and elected officials and firemen and police and other civil servants. And we just we want to just celebrate and honor uh, our community. But the question is, does our community outreach go beyond just community events to the real crux of the matter? Uh, the good news about Christ. And next week, uh, it's, it's going to be a, a, a great reminder as we think about our own salvation and the atoning work of our Savior and the blood that He shed and the victory that He won when He defeated death, hell, and the grave. But let's not forget uh, what it's all about. So in the second chapter, uh, second half of the chapter uh, 8 here in, in, uh, in Acts, we see, as I said, the first example of one-on-one -on -one evangelism in the early church. We come to the story of Philip, who felt the unmistakable tug on his heart to go and share Jesus with someone. So let's take a look at the context, and then we'll kind of dive in. Again, I, I want to make sure we don't lose sight of the flow in uh, the, the biblical book of Acts and Luke's uh, historical account. So, of course, it started with Jesus' ascension in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 2, the church was born. The, the gospel begins to spread throughout the city in chapter 3. And then we see the first example of persecution beginning with Peter and John. And, and then we see, uh, of course, uh, Stephen stoned in chapter 7. Uh, we see the Jewish leaders giving us the quintessential picture of what unbelief looks like for those who reject the free gift of salvation paid for by the blood of Christ. And then last week, as I said, we looked at Simon and an example of really the sanctification process in believers and how old habits often die hard. So this morning, as I kind of look at this historical account of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, I want to focus on three questions that I think we should all ask as we seek to be involved in reaching our community for Christ and community outreach. The first question is this, am I going where God wants me to go? How often do you think about the big picture in your life? I think about it all the time. I don't know if I'm just wired differently, but our journey's been crazy. When I go back to, you know, even my younger days, we moved all the time. I was talking to Wendy recently because we were watching something on TV and they were making reference to some experience in grade school. And I looked at her and I said, you know, I can't remember. I have almost zero memories of my entire grade school. It's like my memories begin with junior high school. And that's because I was constantly moving. By the time I started junior high, I lived in seven states, you know. And, um, and, and then I think about my journey through high school and college and then uh, in, in seminary and, uh, you know, seminary again and then, you know, my married life and ministry. And, boy, it's been a series of ups and downs and joys and 
trials and, you know, discouragements and heartache and so forth, like everybody. Everybody's got their journey, right? And the heart knows its own bitterness, Proverbs tells us. But for me, I constantly am thinking, you know, what does the future look like? Where am I going to be five years from now? What, what is this journey? Am I really going where God wants me to go? Because I don't want ever to feel like I'm squandering the stewardship that God has entrusted to me. Uh, am I where God wants me? And that question kind of helps us avoid getting too comfortable and too complacent. So let's pick up the story in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So if you remember what we talked about last week, Philip did not go back to Jerusalem from Samaria with Peter and John because an angel of the Lord redirected him. Uh, an angel of the Lord had also freed the apostles from prison in chapter 5. And Luke frequently mentions an angel of the Lord, both in his gospel and in Acts. And whenever he mentions it, it seems like he's emphasizing God's special presence and God's special direction, his special activity. It's like God is bursting onto the scene of time, space, and matter in earth and just sort of giving some direction. Now, today we have the voice of God contained within Scripture. Uh, we don't need uh, prophets and angel, you know, angelic voices and other direct avenues of special revelation because we've got everything we need for life and godliness right here. But nevertheless, when's the last time you felt the real clear direction of God in your life. It's kind of refreshing when that happens, but unfortunately the cares of this world often drown that out. And Philip, of course God used in his day an angel of the Lord, but he clearly felt and heard the voice of God saying, go south. You know, you've heard of go west, young man. This was go south, young man. Uh, Philip, we know, had been involved in evangelizing multitudes successfully. Verse 6 tells us that. I mentioned it a moment ago. Um, and, you know, but here God told him, leave this fruitful ministry and I want you to go somewhere else. And then Luke, under the inspiration of the Spirit, adds that little sentence at the end there, this is desert. <laughs> Uh, you ever feel like God's directing you to a desert? Have you ever been in one of those places in life where it seems kind of dry and arid and you're thinking, you know, why can't God call me to, you know, Aruba or Bahamas or, you know, something like that, right? Now, we're so blessed uh, here in Colorado because we get to live in <clears throat> the beautiful mountains and you see God's creation uh, in a special way that, you know, other people don't get to experience. And having lived in the Midwest for eight years, I can testify to that uh, pretty directly. But why would God want Philip to go there? Well, to evangelize Gentiles. As the narrative continues on in the book of Acts, we see the gospel spreading just like Jesus said it would in Acts chapter 1 when he said, you shall be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So we need to understand the church, the early church didn't just stumble upon the idea of evangelizing Gentiles. 
God's deliberate purpose was to lead them there. So then Luke tells us, so he arose, Philip arose, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. And we'll just stop there for a second. So first thing we need to understand is the word eunuch gives people, in English, gives people the wrong impression. Uh, it's not, as we might think of in English, referring to an emasculated male. The word eunuch in Greek, and it's used this way in the Greek translation of the Old Testament as well as other Greek writings, is often used just to describe a, a high military figure or a high-ranking official or a political person. So it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with emasculation. And this official had made a pilgrimage uh, to Jerusalem to worship Yahweh. Somehow he'd heard of the, the God of Israel and he'd come uh, to give reverence to him. This was not at all uncommon in the ancient Near East. Uh, pagan leaders of foreign lands would often go to Israel to explore what was going on. They had heard testimony of what God, the one true God or the God of Israel, from their perspective, was doing. And uh, they, they thought of him maybe as just another deity, but they thought, wow, this, guy's, this God's doing some amazing things, and the people of Israel are amazing people that seem to have some special things going on. Let's go take a look, right? And so there were people in that first century culture all over the world who were weary of the many ancient gods and the loose morals of their societies and so they kind of dabbled in Judaism a little bit to explore a God whom they had heard who had high moral standards and who blessed faithfulness and by the way this is exactly what God wanted Israel to do all along God called his people out of Egypt brought them into the promised land eventually so that they could be a light to the pagan world remember in our nine o'clock study some time ago, we talked about the purposes of God for Israel and the purposes of God for the church. And one of the purposes of God for Israel is to be an example uh, to pagan nations. So here's this political figure, treasurer, if you will, from Ethiopia. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and now he was returning, Luke tells us. And he's sitting in his chariot, literally a covered wagon uh, is what, what they were, and he was reading Isaiah the prophet, just reading, you know, I'm curious about this God of Israel. Let me read their scriptures, right? So a chariot was this ox-drawn wagon, and it would have moved at little more than a walking pace, and so it's pretty easy for Philip to run alongside and to, to call out uh, to the Ethiopian. I can't prove this, but I think one of the reasons that Luke, under the inspiration of the Spirit, tells us that the area was desert, is that, you know, Philip meets this political leader from Ethiopia and finds out that his spiritual condition was as dry as the area around him. And he wants to explain to him how he can have, you know, the living water from Christ himself, who called himself in John chapter 8, uh, the living water that gives life. And so the question is, am I going where God wants me to go? Is the Spirit of God trying to direct you to a certain area for the explicit purpose of ministering to others and possibly sharing the gospel. Am I going where God wants me to go? King David, a thousand years earlier, had written, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. 
talking about Yahweh, about God, about our Creator God. I will guide you with my eye. And he's not talking there, if you look back at the context of Psalm 32, uh, he's not talking just about morality and righteous behavior. He's talking about direction. It reminds me of what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us. We're studying Proverbs in our Wednesday night series right now. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. I mean, sometimes I think it would be easier today if God did send an angel of the Lord to appear in our lives and get our attention and say, go this way or go that way. But we have the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who convicts and leads and encourages and assures and exhorts and all of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. And we have God's Word. Now, if you're not in God's Word and you're not walking in the Spirit, well, you're going to be tone deaf to whatever God may be uh, telling you, and therefore you're not going to know uh, when He's telling you to go in a particular direction. Am I going where God wants me to go? Another thing I think we need to keep in mind as I observe this account is that Philip did not know why he was going toward the south. Luke, the narrator, tells us that this Ethiopian government official was there, but Philip doesn't find out till he gets there, as we're going to see in the next verse. Um, and so he goes to the south, and, uh, and when God calls us to go somewhere, he doesn't often tell us the full picture. He's, he's not obligated to. We're, we're called to obey to listen to the voice of the Spirit, to go where He wants us to go, and then take it one step at a time. You know, it's kind of like those you know, GPS uh, uh, devices that we all use. I turn the, the sound off on mine because it's kind of distracting, but every now and then when I'm in a completely unfamiliar place and I want to make sure I don't miss a turn, I'll turn the audio on. And it'll say, you know, in half a mile... Turn left on such and such, and then, you know, in a, in a thousand feet, turn left on such and such, and you know, in those cases, hopefully, I know where I'm going, but I really don't know how to get there, right? Otherwise, I wouldn't be using a GPS. And so, turn by turn, step by step, the GPS tells me where to go, and God's like that sometimes. And uh, you know, it'd be nice if, like with a GPS, we could zoom out and see the big picture. You know, I spent so many years on the road traveling, and I think, I think I've shared stories about this before, but for about 10 years, I was on the road 200 days a year or more, and I, my life consisted of getting off an airplane, going to the rental car center, getting in my rental car, putting the GPS up. This was before people used their cell phones, their smartphones for GPS, getting it on my luggage, putting it up, waiting for it to connect with the satellite, putting in the address, and then just, you know, wearily driving to my hotel. And if I had been, you know, car broken down on some lonely road and been on my own, I wouldn't have a clue where I was. Sometimes I woke up in the hotel, couldn't remember what state I was in, literally. Um, but we become so dependent on those things. But, you know, when you're using a GPS, you can kind of zoom out and you can go, oh, I see, I'm going to head west and I'm going to head up here. And that, that's kind of where I'm headed. But God doesn't always give us that perspective, right? He just says, trust me. You know, one step at a time. And, uh, you know, Philip... <clears throat> I might point out, didn't go south because God said, hey, there's a guy there that has a flat tire. You need to go help jumpstart this guy's car or his battery. He just went because God said, go. Once he got there, then God 
pointed the way and began to reveal more of the information. So the first question is, am I going where God <clears throat> wants me to go? Are you able to say like that old hymn, wherever he leads, I'll go? <clears throat> you remember that song? Um, it may be through the, <clears throat> through the shadows dim or through the stormy sea. I take my cross and follow him wherever he leadeth me. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. And that leads us to the second question, which is, am I doing what God wants me to do? You see, it's one thing to be in the right place, but what are you doing when you get there? Am I doing what God wants me to do? So let's pick up the account. Uh, Luke says, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. See, God had sent Philip to this area for a reason. I mean, imagine what Philip must have been thinking. Okay, I'm here. And then he gets the next step and he's thinking, okay, it's got something to do with this guy in this covered wagon, this chariot. Um, and, and I think, again, from an observation standpoint, it's critical for us to understand what we learn later in the epistles. And that is that the Spirit's leading is essential in evangelism. Jesus talked about this too. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Uh, he said in the upper room that the Spirit of God will convict people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So we see a little bit of it in Jesus' teaching. But in the epistles, we begin to really see how the Spirit of God is involved in the evangelism process. You know, sometimes the Spirit of God directs us to people, just like we see with this Ethiopian whom God has prepared to trust in Jesus Christ. And that's God's divine design, is the evangelism enterprise. And so Philip immediately obeys, no hesitation. <clears throat> he runs to him, and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? Now, I love this. There's so much here that we could observe. Um, so there, if you kind of get the historical picture, there were probably other people besides Philip who were walking beside the various you know, chariots in this leader's caravan. You know, he had come again from Ethiopia. He was coming to investigate uh, Judaism. And you know, as Philip approached, he heard the Ethiopian reading aloud. Now you say, well, why was he reading aloud? Well, that was pretty common uh, in ancient times because of the difficulty of deciphering sentences in the Hebrew language with no spaces between words, no space, no punctuation marks. It was, you know, paper was a premium, uh, papyrus and scrolls. And so they didn't, they didn't, you don't think of it like we do today with, you know, the way we lay it out, with spacing and paragraphs and word divisions. It was all in one. And so much like when we're coming across a difficult word to pronounce and we might sound it out out loud, uh, even if we're reading a book silently, we come to that word and we, and we stumble over it, so we read it out loud. In the same way, in their day, it was very common for people to read things out loud. And so Philip recognized what this man was reading. Philip, a Jew, very familiar with the Jewish prophet Isaiah. And so he struck up a conversation with him. You know, he, he met the man right where he was. No long setup, no deep theological argument. No rehearsed presentation, just, hey, I noticed you're reading Isaiah. You understand what he's saying? <laughs> so this is what, you know, I've called for many years instinctive evangelism as opposed to intentional evangelism. And we use that phrase in, 
intentionally when we go to do evangelism training conferences because I believe that the gospel ought to be so second nature to us that when the opportunities present themselves, we just naturally talk about it. We don't have to make a plan and come up with a script and be intentional and start out the day and saying, okay, today I'm going to intentionally share the gospel with three people. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, and there are other evangelistic uh, tools and resources out there that can be helpful like that. But for us, it's just when the opportunities present themselves, can you talk about Jesus? Can you tell people your story? Can you tell people that he died on the cross and rose from the dead? And if you'll trust him, he'll give you forgiveness of sin and eternal life. You know, as I've said many times, you can state the gospel in 10 words or less. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And so, but it's instinctive. And it was certainly instinctive uh, for Philip. So do you understand what you're reading? And so the Ethiopian said, well, how can I unless someone guides me? And then he asked Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot. So this official was having difficulty understanding what he read and he asked philip about it and then luke tells us in verse 32 the place in the scripture which he read was this from isaiah 53 he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent so he opened not his mouth and the ethiopian said to philip i ask you of whom does the prophet say this of himself or of some other man now, this is uh, really interesting. So the Ethiopian uh, leader says, uh, who's Isaiah talking about here? Who, who is this? Now, you have to know a little bit about first century Judaism and, and ancient Judaism by the time you get to the first century. We have no indication anywhere in the historical record that pre-Christian Jews uh, or people in other pagan lands thought of the Messiah in terms of a suffering servant. Today, we look back on the prophet Isaiah, written 700 years before Christ, and we talk about the suffering servant sections of Isaiah, and we know that those were talking about Christ. But most of the Jews thought Isaiah the prophet was talking about the nation. I mean, they had suffered so much and been in, in bondage and in exile to so many nations so many times that when you know, the prophet Isaiah said, you know, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter. He thought he was personifying the nation as an individual and talking about Jews. But Jesus comes along, and we see this in Luke's account in his gospel in chapter 22 in the Garden of Gethsemane, the very night that he was betrayed. And he says, he quotes that same passage and says that Isaiah 53 is fulfilled in himself, that he is the one who's led uh, like a lamb. To the shearers. Um, so Philip simply reiterates what Jesus had taught him and the other disciples about this passage, and he proceeded to preach Jesus to this Ethiopian. He just preached the gospel. He preached Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And, um, you know, I think we can make so many applications from this today. People might not be writing in a scroll and reading, you know, writing in a chariot and reading a scroll from an ancient prophet Isaiah in God's word, but they want to know who Jesus is. And if we're listening and we're doing what God wants us to do, we'll see the open doors for talking about the Lord and talking about the gospel. Again, you don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be an evangelist. You know, the Great Commission was given to the church at large. And so as we have opportunity, just tell your story. 
Uh, when you see people uh, talking about certain things that give an opening, an entree for the gospel, just mention the Lord. It was a of course, it was a direct hit with the Ethiopian because he's actually talking and reading about a messianic prophecy. But in his day, he didn't know that, and that's why Philip used that opportunity. And that brings me to the final, final question, which is very important, and that is, am I sharing what God wants me to share? Am I sharing what God wants me to share? In other words, am I carrying the ball across the goal line? Many people think they're doing community outreach by you know, shoveling snow, chopping wood, giving money, providing a meal, doing the kinds of things we're going to be doing with our CAP ministry. And that's all part of it, but that's not evangelism. You know, that's pre-evangelism. The whole purpose of community outreach is to share what God wants us to share. If all we ever do is pre-evangelism and never get to evangelism, then we're not fulfilling the Great Commission of the New Testament church. So I don't mean to set this up like it's an either-or. I understand it's a both-end. Both-end. We've got to serve the community. But let's never forget what it's about. You know, are we going where God wants us to go? Are we doing what God wants us to do? But are we sharing what God wants us to share? And look what Philip did. Luke says, Philip opened his mouth and beginning at that scripture, preached Jesus to him. Preached Jesus to him. Now, we know from reading the rest of the passage that the eunuch responded to the gospel and believed it. He got baptized. And then, of course, Philip is caught up and taken away. Same phrase is used here in Acts chapter 8, caught up, that's used of the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, the Latin translation was rapire, where we get the English word rapture. It's harpazo, to be caught up. And uh, that's kind of interesting, too, because Philip really didn't get the opportunity to see how this Ethiopian grew in the faith or what happened next in his journey. He saw that with Simon earlier, but in this case, he didn't get to see that. Uh, and God doesn't always give us the opportunity to see how new converts grow in their faith. I mean, that's been uh, our ministry with Not By Works for 22 years since we started that ministry, is traveling, speaking at conferences, hopefully faithfully preaching the Word of God, certainly not perfect, but you know, as best we can, trying to be true to the Word of God, but clearly giving the gospel. Our, our driving mission is the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the gospel mission, and then we leave. Y'all might be there for a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or a Sunday through Wednesday, or just sometimes a two-day conference. Don't always get to see it. But we trust you know, the Lord to, to take that implanted word, as James talks about, and, and help people yield to it and grow. Um, so the, the key is sharing what God wants us to share. Paul, in a doctrinal sense, puts it this way, How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? He's there talking about Israel, the nation of Israel, calling on the name of the Lord to be delivered into the kingdom. But he says, how can the nation call on him in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in him if they have not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? Preacher there doesn't refer to the office of a pastor. It's the one who shares good news, euangelizo, the one who shares uh, good news. So uh, we've got to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Are we sharing what God wants us to share? And by the way, this is why I'm so passionate about the accuracy of the gospel. Because I think there are a lot of people who have great hearts and a great passion for sharing 
the word and for community outreach. They go where God wants them to go. They do what God wants them to do. But then they get to the goal line and they fumble the ball. So what message are you sharing? Are you getting it right? We don't want to ever leave people with the idea that somehow if they'll forsake all their sins or make Jesus Lord or commit their life to Him or surrender their all to Him or promise or pledge to obey Him or follow Him and all these other discipleship terms that Scripture uses, we don't ever want to lead them to believe that by doing that somehow that opens the gates of heaven. It doesn't. A lot of people follow Jesus and they're in hell today. Luke, uh, John chapter 6 tells us an example of some of those. Following Jesus doesn't save you. Neither does making Him Lord or surrendering to Him. Those are all things that believers should do day after day, taking up our cross, dying to self, and surrendering to Him. What saves us? More than 160 times the New Testament says our eternal salvation is based upon faith alone in Christ alone. Nothing in our hands we bring simply to the cross we cling. We receive the free gift. This is what I talked to the lady that I mentioned in my 9 o'clock hour this morning about on the phone who called me wanted to know more about salvation, called the Not By Works line and wanted to know more about salvation and had a wonderful, sweet uh, talk with her and that it's, it's simply a matter of trusting in Jesus Christ. That's how you receive the free gift. So we've got to get it right. We've got to be clear and accurate. And it's very simple. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. So there's the three questions that I want you to focus on this week. Am I going where God wants me to go? Am I doing what God wants me to do? Am I sharing what God wants me to share? That's what real community outreach is. Everything we do here, whether it's in reach for the body, such as prayer and helping and rejoicing with people and so forth, or outreach, doing things for the community like our 4th of July celebration, all of it should be toward the goal of building believers up in the faith and leading unbelievers to the faith. So uh, that's our takeaway this morning. Pretty simple. Go, do, and share. Two out of three isn't going to be community outreach. We've got to do all three. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for this uh, fascinating encounter that we see of one-on-one -on -one evangelism in Acts chapter 8 and pray that you would just uh, convict us of our lack of urgency in sharing the gospel and then open opportunities for us or maybe Lord we should say help us to be sensitive to the opportunities that you always open for us and give us uh, the courage uh, and, and the ability and the grace that we need to just talk about your son and our savior to explain what he's done for us and to explain how he can uh, save people from the penalty of sin Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for what we see happening in our midst and, and the excitement that we sense uh, as we move forward. And just pray that you would help us to never forget what real community outreach is all about. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, appropriately, we're going to shift now into our Lord's Supper uh, service.